one. If you're concerned with the time and you're saying, oh no, Joe's just now preaching, (laughs) don't worry, be happy. Uh, We'll make it all all right. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb And you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with, with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We just read the most profound incalculable, fathomless truth which had ever been revealed and it's just unambiguously disclosed without any fanfare. This is something that only a child could believe. Throughout this account, What I hear is just plain simplicity. It is just a simple story. It is, as we said for weeks now, the story that changed the world. But brothers and sisters, you do not have to be a studied intellectual. There's no need to to be an ivory tower theologian. You don't need the spectacles of of a philosopher or the advanced degree of a scholar. What you need is the simplicity of a child. Alistair Begg said, the essential condition to receiving light from the Scriptures is not sophistication, but simplicity. One of my favorite things about being pap is watching my grandboys 
hearing them learn to speak. And one of the favorite things that they learn to say very early on is, wow. Well, that and growl. You know, Gabe growls a lot. He gets that from his dad's side. But (laughs) it's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about, the, the simplicity of a child We aren't to become like children in the sense of how easily children are drawn away to myths, but we're to be like children in receiving the truth of God with an openness and honesty and a wonder and unbridled joy. When I read that this morning, you should have been like, praise the Lord. Wow. This is a narrative, a story that changed the world. It's open, humble, Honest story just presented to us. And there are three events that are presented in this this passage. I'm just going to get them quickly. There's a messenger who appears. There's a message that's announced. And then there's a message that's affirmed. The messenger appears. You know, let's be like children. You know, children are always asking the questions, right? Why? When? How? What? Where? So think about this messenger who appears. When did he appear? What's it say? Verse 26, when? What's it say? In the sixth month. Sixth month of what? We're talking here about Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth, we just read about last week, she had gone and hidden herself for five months, but now it's the sixth month of her pregnancy, and she's back home in the hill country surrounding Jerusalem. That's when? Who? Who's the messenger? In the sixth month, who? Yeah, see, this isn't going to take long at all. The angel Gabriel. We met him last week. He's the heavenly messenger. He was sent from God. He was the chosen messenger from God. And he must have been a frightful sight because when we read about him in the scriptures, I'm thinking about Daniel, uh, specifically Daniel chapter 8, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. We see people fearing. So when... In the sixth month, who, Gabriel, where? Was sent from God to where? A city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, interestingly, the elitists would hear Galilee, the region Galilee, and it'd be like fingernails on a chalkboard. For those of you who are over whatever age, you know what a chalkboard is. It was like the very accent of people from Galilee was anathema to the elitists, the religious elitists, the uppity-ups. And then if you go to Nazareth, oh my goodness, can anything good come from Nazareth? This is just a small podunk town. That's, that's where? To whom? That's another question. From God to a city of Naz- Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed. A virgin betrothed, someone who had not had sexual relations. She's not even married yet at this time. And in these days, uh, uh, young, the girls were very young, 13 to 15 years old, very likely. A betrothal period could last for about a year. It's not the exact same as, uh, as our engagement. It's when um, families would agree together that these, these two should get married. And so the, the, the bride price was exchanged and, and then the the the, the The groom-to-be would go back to his father's house and he would go into his father's house and prepare a place there 
for his bride while his bride stayed. And after about a year, the father would look to his son and say, okay, the place is ready. Go get your bride. And then the, the groom and the party would, would go through the town and get the, the, the bride and the bridal party. And he would pick her up and carry her away to his house. And there they would be married. Well, this is a virgin betrothed to Joseph. Listen to Martin Luther's comments on this. He said, Among the downtrodden people, she was one of the lowliest, not a maid of high station in the capital city of Jerusalem, but a daughter of a plain man in the small town of Nazareth. We may infer that she was of no account because she herself has said, God regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. She's in the house doing chores. Just a young girl, 13 to 15 years old. Somewhere in that betrothal period of at least a year or maybe a little bit more, this legally binding contract between two families. That's to whom? Well, then the question is why? So, when, who, where, to whom, and why? The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Just... Look at the simplicity of this. The angel sent, went into her home and said, Rejoice! It's it's the common greeting for the day. It's like the angel walking into her home and saying, Hello. (laughs) Just, hello. Hello. The messenger was there to bring a message of joy because she was favored by God. In other words, The reason that he's there is because God had chosen her. Oh, favored one. The only other place that that phrase is used in the New Testament is in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 when it says, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He has blessed us. He has accepted us in the beloved. And that's why he was there. He was there because this young virgin girl had been chosen by God. She wasn't vying for this position. She didn't deserve it at all. She was just a plain girl in a plain town, disdained by the elites in an insignificant region, yet the angel assures her that she had received favor, found favor with God. She was not a dispensary of grace. She was a recipient of it. So the messenger appears. The second event that we see is that there is a message that's announced, and that begins in verses 30 through 37. Just Plain, straight, there's no hidden language here. There's no jargon. It's just plain, straightforward, not difficult, no poetic pictures, no hidden meanings, just straightforward words. You will conceive in your very womb. In your womb, Mary, your very womb. She's just a young girl, just over puberty, and yet this announcement is made, this message is delivered. Here's what's going to happen. In your very womb, you will conceive. How, she says in verse 34. This isn't the same as the words of doubt that Zechariah spoke earlier in chapter 1. Though she's wondering how this is going to take place. And then the angel says, well, I'll tell you. Look, straightforward, just plain. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It is supernatural conception. We talk a lot about virgin birth. We really should talk about the virgin conception. And then everything else that takes place in that pregnancy was normal. 
nine months gestation, normal birth process, the virgin will conceive. Now, just very quickly, is it necessary to believe in the virgin conception? Andy Stanley says no, but most of the things that he says are wrong. It is absolutely necessary. Why? Because, well, first of all, if you don't believe it, you discount the word of God just plainly. But I want to show you something. Not only do you discount the word of God, if you don't believe in the virgin conception of Christ, you deny the deity of Christ. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Without the virgin conception, there's no therefore. Right? You have to believe this. How do you believe it? You believe it like a child. You believe it like a child. You will conceive in your womb. You will bear a son. There's no sperm involved here, yet you will bear a son. Even if somehow a virgin could be made to conceive in some scientific experiment, it can't, but of course, but, but if it could, she could only ever bear a daughter. But you will bear a son, right? Geneticists tell us that mammals have two chromosomes, X chromosomes, Y chromosomes, right? If if you took an unfertilized egg, one man said this, if you took an unfertilized egg, a female egg cell, and could somehow create an environment in which it could reproduce itself, two X chromosomes could only produce X chromosomes, and thus the product of that would only ever be female, You will conceive in your womb. You will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. Same message that the angel gave to Joseph a little bit later. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And the name Jesus, Yeshua, simply means Yahweh is salvation. God saves. And just plain, he's just... He's just shelling the corn. There's one thing after another. You will conceive in your own womb. Uh... You will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And there's so much to get into. But let me just say this. Three aspects of his greatness. Jesus is great because of his deity. He is to be holy. The supreme attribute of God. Holy, holy, holy. He is unique. He is transcendent. He was unlike, he was like a child, but unlike all the other children, completely holy and without sin. Can you imagine that? Never sinfully angry, never disobedient, never a wrong attitude, never an out of place word. You know, it's amazing to me that when we have a child, they're wrapped up in this glorious little package. They're sweet and, and cuddly, and you just want to grab them. They grab your heart. And you know, and I know, that what is really there is just depravity wrapped up in that package. Speaking here of his deity, he will be great because he will be the Son of God, God the Son. Not only does it speak of his deity, it speaks of his majesty, his majesty. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. This is spoken of ultimately in terms of the fulfillment of the prophecy in 2 Samuel 7. We won't take time to go there this morning, but he will rule not only 
He will rule over the house of Jacob, ultimately not only over the house of Jacob, but as, through, as you go through the scriptures, you find all the nations. The, the, the wonderful truth is, friends, that you see, he is ruling now, in a sense, spiritually, he's ruling in the hearts and lives of men and women, praise the Lord. And that's what we pray for when, when we pray, thy kingdom come. We pray for men and women to prepare him room in their hearts and to bow before him. And praise God, there will come a day in which he will reign on the earth in a real earthly kingdom when he will take world authority. And that's what we pray for when we pray, thy kingdom come. We We are anticipating him fulfilling all of the promises of God and setting up his kingdom, even if he's ruling with a rod of iron. There's the spiritual reality of that rule. There's the the earthly reality of that rule. But finally and most gloriously, he will usher in an eternal kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. Praise the Lord. That's what we pray for when we pray thy kingdom come. Our focus is really on that eternal kingdom, which he will usher in in his perfect timing. It's in that day, brothers and sisters, and only that day, when we'll behold the utter perfection of glory, there'll be no more suffering and no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more sin, no more Satan, no more separation. That's how great he is. He's great in his deity. He's great in his majesty, but he's also great in his eternity. He will reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom there will be no end. Isn't that what you love so much about the hallelujah chorus and Handel's Messiah? For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. 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 The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. King of kings forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord, I mean, I feel like breaking out in it right now. His, he is great because of an eternal kingdom. His deity, His majesty, and his, uh, his eternity. So the messenger appears, the message is announced, and then the message is affirmed. How's the message affirmed? Well, the message is affirmed, first of all, in Elizabeth. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. <laughs> it's... it's it's confirmed in Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, uh, blessed are you among women. Now notice that it's not above women. Blessed are you among women, not above women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is con- affirmed by Elizabeth. Not only is it affirmed by Elizabeth, it's affirmed by the angel. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Let me just remind you that Gabriel was there when God created the heavens and the earth and he sang, the sons of the morning sang, he beheld the wondrous creative power of God. And so what he's doing to Mary is saying, listen, nothing, trust me, Mary, nothing's impossible with God. I saw him make an ocean out of nothing. I saw him form an eyeball out of nothing. So it's affirmed by Elizabeth. It's affirmed by the angel. It's affirmed by John, who's six months, she's six months pregnant, and Mary walks into the house. And those of you who are mothers, maybe you can attest to whatever that feeling is. 
she felt the baby leap. She didn't just say kick. He let, he was like, whatever. I don't know what that was. He was leaping in her womb because that's why he was created. That's why he, that was his purpose. And it's affirming the words of the angel. This is really quite a doxology here. Let me conclude. Look at verse 45. And I'll try to bring it all together. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This, friends, is true of anyone. Blessed is anyone who believes that which the Lord has spoken. This is not a message of prosperity just because She's calling Mary blessed doesn't mean that she's free from suffering. In fact, this is going to cause her great suffering, great pain. You know, when you follow Jesus Christ, you are following a suffering Savior. Some of you know what that's all about. You've lived a life of suffering. You lived a life of heartache. But this is a message of blessing because it affirms the most astounding truth of all times. Let me quote again from Martin Luther. He said, the virgin birth is a miracle, but we should not overestimate it. This is only Luther can say this, right? We cannot overestimate it. For God, the virgin birth is a mere trifle. The greater miracle is that God should become human and dwell among us as one of us. This is the hardest miracle for us to believe. Not that Jesus was born of a virgin, but that God did all this for us. The hardest thing for all is to believe is that Uh, The hardest thing of all is to believe that the Son of God is ours. For if we really believe that God loves us this much, to be born like one of us, then we will become new people. As the prophet declared, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The hard thing, Luther said, is not to believe that a virgin could give birth to a child, but that God did this out of sheer love for us. In our text we've seen a messenger appearing, a message announced, And a message affirmed. All of this just to remind us of the plain simplicity of the story that changed the world. It's just straightforward truth set before you in all of its beauty and glory for you to believe. This is a simple thing. Just put here without qualification And you have to decide whether or not you will believe this plain, straightforward truth. But if you believe it, you will not believe it as a philosopher. You will not believe it as a scholar. You will not even believe it as a theologian. You will believe it as a child. As a sinner who hears the message of forgiveness of sin. Tell me, the hymnist wrote, tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and His glory, of Jesus and His love. Tell me the story simply as to a little child, for I am weak and weary and helpless and defiled. Weak, weary, helpless, defiled. If that's any of you, then this simple story is saving salve 
to your sinful soul. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Is, can you say the story that changed the world is the story that changed me? Can you say that this morning? Let's pray together. Such simplicity, O oh Lord. Such simplicity for which, O oh God, we are eternally thankful. You don't hide it. You just say it. It's right here in black and white. And by your grace, oh God, I believe it. And I believe that which is to come. And I pray that you'll work that in the hearts and lives of men and women. But only in those hearts and lives of men and women who are weak and weary. Only in those who have come to the end of themselves. So that we can walk out of here today with a childlike joy that knows that you have gone to great lengths to ensure the forgiveness of sin. And I pray that you'll work this in every heart today. For your eternal glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. And together, all God's people said, Amen.